Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Chamber Music Charleston, celebrating the return of live music gatherings and their 15th anniversary, with their season opener featuring violinist Rachel Barton Pine and more. September 28th at the Satilli Theater. For tickets, chambermusiccharleston.org. Support also comes from Brook Green Gardens, presenting the National Sculpture Society's 88th Annual Awards Exhibition, June 12th through August 22nd, and Summerlight Art by Night, Wednesdays through Saturdays until August 22nd. More at brookgreen.org. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETV Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. Hello and welcome to Spoleto Backstage, the podcast that pairs incredible performances with fun and insightful perspectives from the 2021 Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series. Hi, I'm Bradley Fuller, and on this fifth episode of this year's run, we'll be enjoying the music of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. We had a little Joseph Haydn on the first episode, and now it's on to another big name in the group of composers sometimes called the First Viennese School, or Wiener Klassik. So, we're stepping back from the romanticism of the past two episodes and dialing it back a bit in music history to the capital C classical era. Mozart's Horn Concerto No. 1, as arranged by Benjamin Loeb, is in store for us, as well as a chat with the soloist for that performance, hornist David Bird Marrow. And to start, another work of the classical era composers, his Kegelstadt Trio. You'll get an explanation of that nickname before too long. Maybe not the kind of physical activity you're imagining for the word Kegel. But first, here I am asking pianist Pedro Mutsievich about his involvement in this year's performance of that trio. Well, your first appearance on this year's Chamber Series was actually for a work you weren't originally slated to perform, Mozart's Kegelstadt Trio. Originally, Gilles von Saddle was listed in that position. Did you just have this piece in your back pocket? All you had to do was dust it off, or did you just learn it that quickly? Well, I'd played it before, and, and I knew a week or two weeks before, so it wasn't last minute. And You know, as it's painfully obvious to anybody who is at Oxford Theatre, we are all very close friends, so... <laughs> Gilles was asked to play with the Detroit Symphony, and we were all like, of course, just go, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> so he, he had to cancel one, one of the concerts, so it was, it was not a big deal at all. And it was, it was great fun to play. So You're not, you're not going to go knocking on Gilles' door and say, hey, you owe me one. My attorney has been in touch with him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when you need someone to play a piece you know, of yours, you, you can call Gilles and get a favor. <laughs> nah. Oh, we've all done it at some point, <laughs> so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, and I know that that piece is certainly a favorite for uh, the Chamber series, but yeah. um, I, Mozart, too, despite how, how easy and graceful and natural he can sound and his music can also prove, prove a bit challenging, you know. You know, with, with Mozart, you feel so exposed because there's not a lot of you know, sauce as it, let's say, with cooking references, there's not, there's like basically the, ingre- the good ingredients. <laughs> But it's probably my most comfortable musical suit, so to speak. I can play Mozart and Haydn for the rest of my life and not miss anything else. It's somehow a language that I'm very comfortable in. So both, both 
uh, physically and musically, and also I find it kind of all th- to be theater, kind of narrative theater, opera. So it's something I, I just love playing. Pianist Pedro Mutsievich sharing there about his particular enjoyment of Mozart's piano music. You'll hear him performing the Kegelshot Trio alongside Todd Palmer, clarinet, and Ayane Kozasa, viola, in just a bit. And to provide some background on the piece, including its nickname, here's Chamber Music Series Artistic Director Jeff Nuttall giving an introduction. Spoleto Backstage is taking you on stage for this talk. What you're about to hear is one of my favorite pieces, but there's a story behind it, and it's about an LP... Because when I was a kid, and I bet many of you have had this experience, when you're played music as a young person, especially if it's repeated and it's good, it sort of sticks with you. And my dad loved music, but he had a very narrow band of things that he liked. He had about six records. Four of them were Mozart and two were Bach. Brahms was new music. And one of the records he had was the Kegelstadt Trio by Mozart that you're about to hear. And it's... I mean, it's sublime music, even if you're hearing it for the first time. But somehow it's full of these incredible melodies and this simple beauty that stuck with me. And I've loved it ever since I was a kid. And they kept playing that record. Now, the story gets better because who was playing on that record was the great clarinetist Gervais de Pire, who um, made a lot of records in in the 50s and 60s in England. And he also happened to be the teacher of Todd Palmer, who's about to play... Now, so it, all, it comes full circle. You're channeling Mozart through Gervais de Pire, through Todd Palmer, uh, Kegelstadt Trio. Now, I like to give you meaningless tidbits of information that may be helpful at cocktail parties. So you say, oh, I heard this trio by Mozart called the Kegelstadt Trio. And, and then the person will say, well, what does that mean? And you'll say, well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, supposedly, Mozart loved to play Skittles. You know what that, I mean, I didn't, not not the candies, but I guess it's like a little bowling game, like mini bowling, Skittles. And Kegelstadt is Skittles. I knew you thought it was going to be something really important and emotionally meaningful, didn't you? No. (laughs) Supposedly he was inspired to write this piece while playing a game of mini bowling. Weird. Okay, I told you it was meaningless information. I mean, you're expecting something. Uh, There are three movements on Dante first movement, this minuet second movement, and this incredibly beautiful, soaring third movement. Mozart, as many of you know, loved the viola. And he also loved the clarinet, which at this point in 1786 was a brand new instrument. Uh, Not a lot of people had written for it, but he found this guy, Anton Stadler, who was obviously a a great virtuoso and inspired Mozart to write these amazing pieces, the clarinet concerto, the clarinet quintet, the Kegelstadt trio, the wind quintet, Uh, The clarinet was a big part of the repertoire because of Stadler. And it's safe to say that like five of the top ten pieces ever written for clarinet are by Mozart, inspired by Stadler. So you'll hear the the clarinet, Mozart played the viola at the premiere, and this was really the ultimate chamber music experience. It was in somebody's living room. He dedicated it to the pianist who played the premiere, um, a charming young lady. We won't go there, but in any event, Mozart played viola, Stadler played the, the clarinet. The last movement... You know when you get an earworm, your, a tune gets stuck in your head? You know, it's just like, this is one of those perfect moments in music. The melody itself is so beautiful. The counter melody is perfect. And I find myself, I'm just on my old bike that Walter gives me, and I'm riding around Charleston, and I just hear this soaring melody. And I'm just...
I, you're going to be doing, you don't, won't necessarily be riding, but you'll be walking around and this will be with you. And it's the perfect melody to take you out under the streets of Charleston. Okay, uh, Todd Palmer clarinet, Pedro Mutsevich piano, and Ayane Kozaza, <laughs> viola.
that was Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's trio in E-flat major K498, Kegelstein. Performing there were Peja Mutievich, piano, Todd Palmer, clarinet, and Diane Kozasa, viola. More of Mozart's music coming up for us in just a few moments, his horn concerto number one to be specific, but before that, we'll hear from the artist who soloed for that performance in this year's Chamber Series, David Bird Marrow, a professor of horn at the University of Denver and a member of the International Contemporary Ensemble and the Knights Chamber Orchestra, David recently spoke with me about the Mozart Concerto and how it helps to have experience with a wide range of music styles. And to get into that conversation, here's David sharing about how social distancing concerns during the pandemic prompted him to explore a new musical avenue. So there was a lot of attention on, on you know, horn playing alone. Basically on all social media threads, you could just see people trying to figure out, like, does anybody know any pieces for Horn Alone? I kept on seeing, like, the same five pieces come up in, like, everybody's thread. And it was just like, oh, man, come on, guys. So, like, I, I part of the reason I, I wanted to compose was just to put more out there for everyone. But also with the recital, I also just wanted to show that some of the stuff that is already out there. And the other reasons I got into writing these pieces... Um, and I call them I call them meditations to try to get away from, I don't know, the idea that it's like a piece because I'm still sort of scared to say that about my own writing. But, um, but they are they do stem from trying to get to that that meditative state. But they're also a place for younger horn players to to uh, practice kind of all these weird things that we we know that we can do as horn players, but it's not really asked for that often. So it's just one more place where you can like try these extended techniques on the, on the horn. So it was kind of a multi-pronged. Uh, you know, this reminds me of like some of the etudes that, that have been written that aren't just like dull exercises, but it's like, there's some, you know, musical value here too. Like these are pieces you could share for people. Is that what you were going for? Yeah. I wanted them to be able to be performed, you know, they're, I've written three now on the average about three minutes and they're just they're kind of just like little poems like they're not they're not meant to be that substantial but just kind of like uh, you know just moments um, one of the the ones that I've gotten the most sort of positive feedback on was the one that focused on um, sung harmonics so sung multiphonics um, so you're playing and singing at the same time and uh, that doesn't sound easy it's um <laughs> It's it's more of a sensation that you have to get used to. And then after you've done that and, like, you know, make sure that you're singing in tune, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> the hardest thing is actually to move one without the inclination to move the other. You know, horn's kind of tricky already, so it is, it's, it is, it is, it takes some time. But, but once you sort of, like, get it, it, it happens. Yeah, well, I remember you describing it last time, I think, and maybe I've seen it elsewhere, too, that the range of the horn is kind of like a piano keyboard with each key getting narrower exactly. as you go higher yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you reminded me of that. It's such a great image because that's exactly what it is. Like, so so all, all those in your horn studio now are, are taking up these pieces and singing and playing at the same time. And Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the thing that I've found, um, so one of the recitals I presented for the International Horn Society, and um, there was so much great uh, uh, feedback from, from the students. Like it, it was streamed live on YouTube, so there was a place for chats to happen. And I was, I was really thrilled to see a lot of the younger horn players, like, where can I get this music? Like, you know, uh, this is cool. Um, awesome. You know, on and on and on about it. So I, I, was, really, I was really happy. 
I don't know to see that. And and with that, my students are actually aside from me, like they're they're really interested in it. You know, they want to they want to explore the instrument and sort of. It hasn't quite been, if you ask me, um, as fully realized as it could be, and especially if you compare it to, you know, a lot of the other instruments that you find, like you know, the violin has been. You know they've explored all the possibilities, and there's really great uh, pieces for for that. And I think there's still a couple where there are great pieces, and they are utilizing some of the things that I'm talking about. But there just needs to be more, and it can we can go further with it. So that was another reason I I got I I wanted to dive into that was to not so much that my pieces would be like the pieces, but it would maybe inspire you know um, composers to do it. Um, I I did a, a residency. Um, quote unquote, you know, Zoom, um, with the Peabody uh, Conservatory Composition Department, um, where I did something I didn't know I could do, but I had talked about horn for three hours straight. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was partially because, you know, we, I, I wanted to start, you know, right from from ground zero and just like really work our way up. But they had some really great inquisitive questions. And um, I ended up recording um, pieces from, you know, students in the studio and actually, one of those students' pieces was just, like, so good. And I was just, like, I asked him. His name's Jake O'Connor. He just graduated. Um, I think he's a doctor. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Something like that. Um, but, yeah, his piece, you know, the, the his piece was just, he's, he, he, he has an interest in death metal. And that's just, like, that's exactly what you want. I, I you know, have a friend who's like, very interested in it as well. Yeah, like, he, yeah. And <laughs> Maybe so, like, producing this interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so he, you know, take that plus this knowledge of, uh, you know, now after hearing me blabber on about the horn work, uh, how the horn works, and then, you know, his, his general compositional knowledge, put that together, and then you have this piece that is amazing. It's, like, seven minutes long, I think, sort of in three movements called Wall of Thorns. And wow. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it is thorny, right? It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. And, and up until probably like close to like two or three weeks before I recorded, it, I wasn't even sure if I could play it. Like, I was just like, I don't know if this is going to work, but, um, it ended up being one of the pieces that, that garnered the most, uh, interest from the younger kids just because it was just like, I don't know, it was just so energetic and so active, active, you know? So, I mean, your, your approach to the horn sounds like you're kind of spurring along, you know, people to explore all of its versatility, you know, what it's capable of kind of in a new way. Um, but for instance, at this year's Chamber Series, you're, you're playing Mozart's Horn Concerto Number 1. Exactly. So so you, you kind of like to have a, a foot in both worlds, or I guess there's more than two. I mean, it's it's a... Yeah, yeah, but I know what you mean, you know, because there is... There's the music that is directly related to the, I guess, the, the ancestor uh, form of the French horn, you know, valveless and, and all of that stuff, where there was less options for, you know, a lot. the rotors that were added later have a lot to do with all of the things that we can do, right? So, you know, that there it is kind of two worlds in that there's, there's a very specific style of, of, and an approach to Mozart and, and the music of that time and place. And as we get further in the future to like now, it becomes much more subjective, right? And so like there still is, you know, I know that Jake liked death metal. Um, maybe Mozart would have liked death metal. <laughs> I'm not going to say one way or another. Um, you know? And, you know, you'll hear anyone who, who does kind of um, skate along the lines of genre um, tell you that that it all informs itself like everything you're doing sort of like you take back to 
you know, something that you wouldn't necessarily relate it to and just apply that kind of thing. So, for example, you know, you might apply the energy and uh, chaos of something like Jake's piece to a portion of Mozart. Like, you probably wouldn't do it for the whole piece, right? But, or you might take something from Mozart and, like, take the nuance that you might want to use and apply it to something where it's perceivably just crazy a lot of the time, right? And, or, or just like a, a chaotic, right? So, um, the, it is, it is really helpful to, borrow from that stuff and just kind of go back and forth and, and build this mold that ends up being you, the artist, I think. Hornist David Bird Marrow there, sharing about how familiarity with one kind of music can help a performer's approach to another kind, even if the two styles seem very far removed from one another. We'll hear his artistic approach in action here as he solos for the second Mozart work of this episode, the classical-era composer's Horn Concerto No. 1, K412, as arranged by Benjamin Loeb. Joining David are Jeff Nuttall, Jennifer Frouchy, and Livia Son, violins, Sinyun Huang, viola, Arlen Lesko, cello, Anthony Manzo, double bass, James Austin Smith, oboe, and Todd Palmer, clarinet.
What a great performance there, given to start the 11th and final program of this year's Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series. That was Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's Horn Concerto No. 1 in D Major, K412, as arranged by Benjamin Loeb. The hornist was David Bird Miro, and joining him were Jeff Nuttall, Jennifer Frauchi, and Livia Son violins, Sinyun Huang viola, Arlen Lusco cello, Anthony Monzo double bass, James Austin Smith oboe, and Todd Palmer clarinet. Let's hear just a bit more from David, this time a few more thoughts on what makes his instrument of choice special and how it's been a bit difficult getting back into the rhythms of live performances. I would say that maybe the horn sounds the most like the human voice wants to sound at its most beautiful. Okay. Is that is that biased enough? Uh, yeah, it sounds very biased, but you know, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, it's up to you to advocate for your instrument. I think and, I'm allowed to be biased in this situation, yeah. Well, you're the only brass instrumentalist on this series, so so how does that feel? Uh, just trying not to be a bull in a china shop. That's basically <laughs> what it is. I was wondering um, about that because I'm thinking it'd, it'd be very easy. And, and in fact, when you arrived here, you know, a few days ago, I said, uh, David's in the building. It sounds awesome. I can hear this, you know, epic horn just ringing through the halls. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny, you know, I think for everyone... Well, almost everyone, like, <laughs> this is, like, first concert since uh, shutdown. And so we're all kind of just like, uh, all right, this is how this works. You know, I I had a moment a couple days ago where I thought I had left my cufflinks at home. And then uh, I remembered I brought spares because that's what I always do. But I forgot for, like, a solid half an hour. And um, just things like that, like getting back on that, that bike. Um, yeah, it's like riding, it's like riding a bike except... Uh, when you got on, you realize the tires are flat and the brakes don't work and you just have to fix everything back up. I, I've seen it or felt it myself in, in totally different areas. But yeah, this kind of shaking the rust off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. But very elegant of you to have, you know, backup cufflinks. Right. See, you know, <laughs> well, you just you, know, you suffer the consequences one too many times and you're like, all right, I got to solve this. Well, there you have it from David Bird Marrow himself. Don't set yourself up for failure by forgetting those cufflinks can't imagine how playing might be hampered to have your sleeves just flopping all over the place. Though maybe one day it could become a kind of extended playing technique. A composer writing in the score, let unbuttoned or unlinked cuffs brush across the bell of your horn, or the strings of the piano, or whatever. You never know where music's going to take us next. Anyway, you know it's easier than searching for those misplaced cufflinks, finding that latest episode of this podcast. That's why you should subscribe to Spoleto Backstage. Each time a new episode drops, it will drop, well, right into your lap, where it can travel for free. And that will be soon because there are still a number of episodes of the 2021 run of Spoleto Backstage coming your way. Thanks for joining me for this one, and I can't wait to have you along for the next. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETV Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. ¶¶